Radio, episode 25, recorded on Saturday the 25th of January 2014 at 8.17 in the evening. Space, a final frontier. of the voyages of the starship Enterprise, its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations. Yep, that's what we're talking about tonight, Star Trek. But for a change, we're going to examine um, what's wrong with Star Trek. So this week, we will explore every Star Trek cock-up nonsensical technology, contradiction, annoyance, and other assorted stupidity. Um, all the things that drive me absolutely batty about the series, uh, to the extent of wanting to wield a batleth uh, like a Klingon drunk on Romulan ale. Um, so, let's get started. Um, now, I apologise to fans of Star Trek. Um, I'm going to be, try and be as brutal as I can, um, which, which is odd, really, because I am a fan of, of the show. But there, there are things that just really get to me. So, um, I've, got, I've compiled a long list over the week. Um, I could have kept on going with this list forever, in fact, so I decided to um, just uh, call a stop to it today and just tell you what's on the list. Um, as I say in HTML, this is um, a UL tag list, so um, that's um, an unordered list, so these are in no particular order. Um, I just wrote them down as they popped into my brain. So, uh, let's start off with warp drives. Um, now, I... <laughs> To start off with, I'm not a physicist, so I'm probably going to get a lot of this wrong, but, but I know when you're supposed to go near the speed of light, or faster, or whatever, um, there's a time dilation effect. Uh, so, when you're going really fast, uh, people who aren't travelling with you will age. So. If you're on a starship and you're going really, really fast, uh, by the time you get back from your trip, um, your everyone you knew and loved will probably be dead. And you see this a lot in science fiction. It's a common trope. Um, for example, in Aliens, when Ellen Ripley returns to the Earth, she finds out her daughter is long dead. Um, but you never seem to see this in Star Trek, and I guess it's because they use uh, a warp drive, uh, which bypasses all, all the uh, normal laws of physics by um, compressing space between two points, so you can uh, travel without the uh, disadvantage of time di dilation and move really quickly. Um, but what I don't understand is, uh, in the series, there's no bit of technology um, that seems to require uh, some kind of wormhole generator or gate thingy like you see in um, 
Although you do see that in Deep Space Nine, but that's a static thing rather than something built into a ship. Um, you also see it on, on other franchises like Stargate. Um, so I, I, I'm not quite sure how uh, the warp drive is supposed to work. It do doesn't seem to make any sense to me. The, uh, the warp engines push the ship rather than create some kind of spatial vortex that sucks you through to another point in the universe. So that doesn't seem to make sense to me, and it never really has. Um, next, and this is a really big one, and, uh, and a really cliched one, so I'm apologising for bringing it up, but um, it's something that always bothered me. It's been discussed ad nauseum in, in other uh, blogs and by other people too. But uh, transporters. Um, well, the whole point of a transporter is that it instantaneously zaps you from one point in space to another point in space. But the way they do it on Star Trek is ridiculous. Um, I mean, as far as I can tell, it kills you first disassembles your molecule, uh, your atoms, um, stores the pattern of your atoms, all the uh, XYZ coordinates of each atom or subatomic particle or however they want to describe it, in the pattern buffer, um, and then shoots your atoms over to another point in space using the pattern buffer as a template to rebuild you in exactly the same way that it disassembled you. but. Obviously, that's not the same you, that's just a facsimile copy. So every time you step through a transporter, you actually die. Um, now, they tackled this, this very same uh, subject um, on Enterprise, uh, you know, the series, the last series with Scott Bakula. Um, and we see um, the crew of the Enterprise meeting the original inventor of the transporter who just makes a joke about it. And that's it. Explanation over. Thank you and good night. What? I mean, that's no way to explain things. It, it's really lazy and annoying writing. And where's that bat with? Okay, so that's uh, transporters. And do you know why transporters are really there? You know, it's not because it's core technology. This is my theory. It's just to save time filming and uh, to save money on props and effects. Right, next, dilithium. Uh, more like dirlithium. Uh, you know, ha ha how in Spock's brain does this actually work? Is it some kind of nuclear thingy? Um, and the other thing is, wh why does it always seem to need some bloke with a hyperspanner to fix it? Uh, you know, it, it's dangerous down in engineering, um, and, and I can't see why anyone would want to work down there, so it's almost as stupid a career move as joining Starfleet security. Someone's always being barbecued in the engine room. Uh, Waldo's anyone? You know, Robert Heinlein's idea? Remote hands? Robotic hands? Robotic arms? Uh, but we're going to talk about that later too. And, and actually, talking about dilithium, have you noticed whenever they want to make something more powerful, uh, a fuel, um, whatever, um, there's several instances of this, but the only one I can think of is dilithium itself. 
I, I remember there was uh, somewhere in the series they uh, started talking about a new powerful fuel called trilithium. So they added one thingy. Uh, okay, and uh, right, and uh, robots. Well, while we're on the subject of remote controlling uh, in dangerous environments rather than sending some poor engineer down to get blown up, um, where are the bots? Where, where, where are the R2-D2s? Uh, why do we just have uber-fancy machines like Data? Um, don't we have day-to-day -day more run-of-the-mill um, machines? Uh, that can go and do dangerous tasks, um, you know, too dangerous for the humans. Uh, I, I don't know why this is left out, maybe it's some kind of dramatic license thing. I, okay, leaving the robots aside for the moment. Now, Human Dominated Federation. Right, so we, we breed a lot. So that means there's a lot of humans. Uh, we can see it in our present-day um, population trends, uh, and uh, it, it seems reasonable that if, if there was ever some kind of galactic federation, there would be a lot of humans in it. But, but my problem with this whole thing is, can you imagine us trying to solve the problems of other cultures? Uh, you know, we, we can't even solve our own problems, and then we're going to solve uh, problems between the... Um, the Andromedans and the uh, and the Vulcans, like we see in Enterprise, or the you know the Captain Kirk mediating between the uh, Klingons and and other alien species. I mean, maybe the humans from the future are much nicer than us. Okay, uh, now talking about uh, cooperating with other species. Uh, one, fact, one thing that makes this uh, a lot easier is the Universal Translator. Only it doesn't really do that, does it? As far as I can see, it, it changes alien speak to standard North American English. Why is that? I, I don't quite understand why, why it's always uh, North American English. Anyway, uh, leave aside that for a moment. Natural language processing in AI is hard anyway. Siri is completely useless. Um, and I'm just stunned that this thing can, can contextually transcribe a, an alien language. Mm. Right, and communication. So, communicators. Um, right, so, we've got communicators in various forms through the whole franchise. Uh, they started with the flip phone type thingies, um, to the, uh, the badges that you press and you can speak. Um, but my problem with communicators is, uh, if I, as the audience, uh, is listening to the other side of the conversation. Uh, surely, then, so are the evil squid people of Squeegee 5. Isn't that a big security lapse? I mean, I know it's just dramatic license, but you very rarely see this in a, a normal drama. 
Okay, uh, next one. Current technology actually looks better than anything they ever have on any of the um, shows. I mean, admittedly, a lot of current tech is directly insp inspired by Star Trek. Uh, palm pilots, flip phones, smartphones, tablets. Um, it, it, in fact, moaning about Star Trek's tech is a bit like that Monty Python speech about the Romans in the life of Brian, where, where, where they keep saying, you know, what have the Romans done for us? And, and one of the guys says, oh, rule of law. And then he says, yeah, but apart from rule of law, what have the Romans done for us? And another guy comes up with aqueducts, and it just goes on and on and on. Um, why am I talking about life of Brian? Sorry, back to Star Trek. Uh, Yeah, so um, by the time we get a new uh, series, Enterprise Deep Space Nine or Voyager, the technology that they show, uh, that, that we see on the show, already looks old. Holodecks, okay, so there is one exception to that rule to rubbish tech the holodeck. And this is more of um, it's not so much more of a it's not so much a moan, but it's more an observation. Uh, I, I'm just kind of glad that the holodeck hasn't been invented, uh, because I'd do nothing else. Let's be honest. Uh, I, I I think a lot of people would become holodeck addicts. Uh, I I am basically Reg Bar Reginald Barclay. Actually, I'm worse, which is why I spend time yammering away like a total nerd in this podcast rather than going out, but that's uh, probably a subject for another time. Uh, so that wasn't really a moan at all. I think holodecks are actually quite cool. Apart from the addiction um, aspect, which is tackled, isn't it, in uh, TNG, uh, where Barclay himself gets um, a little confused shall we say. Okay, but actually, now that, now that I think about it, that's, it's not tackled very often, is it? You would have thought that hollow addiction would have been uh, much more prevalent in the future, but I suppose that hollow decks aren't that uh, widespread and are probably expensive anyway, to use, I mean. So let's leave behind hollow decks for now, and, and, and I can um, stop whining about why I haven't actually got a holodeck installed in my uh, living room. Next, artificial gravity. Oh, this, this really is a bugbear, actually. This, this does drive me right round the bend. And it's not just Star Trek that's guilty of this. Um, so, okay, in, in Star Trek, there, there is some kind of mysterious force at play keeping everyone glued down. So they've got some kind of gravity generator somewhere on the ship. But there's a, a serious logic flaw here. Have, have you noticed that uh, during a battle, the first thing to go is uh, the gravity, uh, well, the stability generator, shall we say. Um, and everyone starts shaking uh, from side to side, like they're in a big... I don't know, a big, big bucket and someone's shaking, a giant shaking the bucket. Uh, but, but if this is a, a fault with a gravity generator, surely they would go into free fall? Or am I missing something here? Um, 
perhaps they're just stabilizers. Should we call them stabilizers? So we've got two systems. We've got the gravity generator, which always works. It's absolutely foolproof. But um, it does mean the stabilizers can sort of go wonky and subject the crew to shaking. Why am I helping Star Trek? Sorry, I'm, I'll, I'll go back to criticising them. No, that's completely rubbish. Someone should sort that out. Okay, phasers. So, what, what exactly is a phaser? I know it's some kind of hand weapon that the Federation use, uh, but is it a laser? Um, I've also seen it uh, being used as a blowtorch, which I'm assuming that you could kind of do with a laser. But then on the other hand, it, it can also stun someone. And it stuns them by kind of giving them some kind of mild shock rather than blowing a hole through them. And I don't understand how a laser could do that. Now, the only explanation I've come up with, and this is something that I've made up uh, by doing a lot of googling and thinking how would how would this work? How could you get a phaser to actually work? Now the one the one way I thought of doing this is that you have uh, kind of a dual weapon. Uh, now if you look, you have the laser and then you have something in there called an electro laser. Now you want to look this up. It's a way of uh, using a laser beam to send. Uh, like an electrical uh, flash of voltage or lightning um, across a distance. It's a way of directing lightning, I suppose, like a like a taser, but instead of wires, you're using lasers. So that could work. Um, so that's electro laser. If you want to do some homework, look that up. Invent one, and then um, can can you send me one too? That'd be pretty cool. Next, the Prime Directive. Okay, so this is all very laudable. The, the Federation promises not to interfere in developing cultures, but what does it do? Anytime there's, uh, <laughs> there's something that a captain doesn't particularly like, there's a tiny bit of agonising, and then bingo, they uh, just ignore the Prime Directive, drop of the hat, and um, all kinds of uh, stuff breaks loose. You'd have thought they'd more strictly enforce that rule, which, I mean, it's called the Prime Directive. It's not called the Third Directive or the um, You-Can-Do-It-If-You-Want-To Directive. It's called the Prime Directive. But it's not a particular Federation law. I think it's a very good one. <laughs> That's my own personal view, so good on the captains for um, ignoring that. So next, Anomalies. Subspace or otherwise, the moment I hear this used, um, whenever someone says, Captain, we're, we're sensing a, su um, a subspace anomaly ahead, something very interesting, and... Anyway, whenever I hear that, my heart sinks, because I'm, I just know that we're in for at least 20 minutes of utterly boring, gobbledygook dialogue. I, 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 can't, I cannot honestly say why they, they keep on having... Anomalies through the whole series and the most boring phenomena I've. Anyway, it's 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 terrible fiction. In in fact, the, the moment I hear that, I, I I wish someone would send kill me by sending me through a transporter. So please, if if there's another another series of Star Trek, can we have less 
anomalies. Sound. Okay, this this isn't fair to just uh, blame Star Trek for this. You, you see that this in a lot of uh, other science fiction. Um, so, if, if you're an engine, or a, a photon torpedo, or a phaser in space, um, then you can be heard in a vacuum. So that's a big lot of duh. You know what, I, I think I mentioned this in a previous podcast, in uh, Gravity, um, there's one instance when two astronauts, uh, when the two astronauts... Sandra Bullock and George Clooney managed to grab hold of the fuselage of one of the craft and you hear a bonging noise and that's that's the one, the one thing I picked out of that whole uh, film Gravity that really bugged me and it just stayed in my head for the rest of the film I thought they managed to avoid most scientific nonsense but that someone didn't do the um, I don't know what, what you'd call it the co- quality control the last minute editing uh, properly and left this sound in. So please, no more sound in space. I'm pretty sure having no sound in space will in no way detract from the drama. Oh, this next one's alright. Oh, it's, it's a really good one. There's there's no English word to describe it, but um, North American, you'd call this one a doozy. Time travel. Now, the, the way you do this in, um, in Star Trek is very bizarre. To go back in time, you, um, I don't know if it's, well, you loop around the Earth at warp speed to initiate time travel. What? How on earth does that work? Um, so you can go around, one way around the Earth, you travel in the past, and you go the other way, you travel in the future. Uh, well, travelling to the past like that is, is really like rubbing a brass lamp and expecting a genie to appear. It's never ever going to work. Um, apparently though, going forwards in time theoretically could work, because well, if as you near light speed, you're doing that relativity thing again. So, uh, time on the Earth is going faster than time for you. So you could go to the future in theory, uh, although it'd be a one-way trip. But going back in time, absolute nonsense. They've they've got to figure out a, a better way of doing it. There's got to be better better physics, better science. And now, now I come to quite a big one, and and very important for a, a space opera show like Star Trek, aliens. Oh dear, the aliens. Right, first, why are there so many? Uh, Douglas Adams once said, space is big, really big, and so on, and whatever else he said. But apparently, in, in uh, the space of Star Trek... In the universe of Star Trek, everywhere seems to have there 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 are sentient beings everywhere. That there's no room for anyone else. There are so many species. I really don't understand how that works. How how can um, 
you know, we're already finding extrasolar planets now, but many of them uh, don't have the conditions that are needed to support life as is familiar to us as humans. So I don't see how there can be so many bipedal air breathers who can communicate with us spread all over the universe. But but I'll get back to that. There is... Um, okay, this is the next point. Why are they mostly humanoid? Uh, now, an obvious nonsense that they are mostly humanoid, but I think this has actually been retconned um, in the original series. Uh, something about the universe being seeded. Uh, and, and what's really weird is... When I was writing this down sometime last week, um, I wrote down the date, Tuesday the 14th of January 2014 at 12.54 in the afternoon. The very episode that talked about seeding the, the universe with uh, humanoid-like life forms turned out to be on the TV. So as I was typing that, I, I heard... I heard them talking about this small asteroid or planetoid somewhere that was um, populated by a group of people who look strikingly similar to um, to Native Americans. And I rushed over to see what that was about. Uh, so I've got the... The name of the episode was The Paradise Syndrome. Uh, yeah, and so so later on in the uh, series, episode 29, they, they did decide that there needed to be some explanation as to why so many of the uh, species around the universe are humanoid-looking. So yeah, look at the uh, show notes if you want to link to the Memory Alpha page, uh, where you can read a bit, bit about that. Um, so, okay, okay, I'll, I'll let them have that one. It's a bit of a hack, but it works. Uh, heads and hands. Most of the alien species, um, the, 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 the creature design finishes and ends at alien heads and alien hands. So I get that. It's cheaper for the costume and makeup department to work with. But every time I see that, it... it diminishes my ability to suspend disbelief just one little bit more. Um, the other thing is, um, and I'm not sure, well, where are the aliens whose cultures forbid the uncovering of the face, um, but not the body? So we have all these aliens wearing, like, um, coveralls, and we can see their heads and we can see their hands. But how comes we don't meet any alien species who don't decide that the hands and face are the only thing they actually do want to cover? Now, okay, I can see modesty aside, they, they probably don't want uh, naked people walking around uh, Star Trek, for which is a, tech, you know, it's a family show, so I can understand that. But maybe they could wear swimming trunks or something. Um, but no, it's uh, the standard coverall, the rubber mask, and the rubber hands. And talking about the... Right, and uh, back to the fact that most of the aliens are humanoids, um, I want to know where the sentient crystal people are, where the winged mushrooms are, where the two-headed people are, 
where the sentient gas bags are. And, oh, and I'm not referring to myself by that. Although I probably could be, couldn't I? Yeah, humans are pretty gassy, so I, I wouldn't be on my own. Sentient gas bags. There, we've discovered where the sentient gas bags live. They live on Earth. Right, I'm uh, still on the subject of aliens. Vulcans. Um, okay, so I'm guessing Gene Rodenberry wanted some cool kind of um, alien species that looked like human, but had a very different culture um, to, to add to the, the variety on, on the show. But as far as I can see, Vulcans are really there for one reason and one reason only. They are eye candy. Spock on the original series is the thinking, you know, and T'Pol on Enterprise. They only seem to be, as far as I can see, yeah, they get the, the lines about science. They can do all the weird uh, alien uh, death grip stuff. Nerve pinch, Vulcan nerve pinch. Um, have a funny live long and prosper salute. All that good stuff, and they're very logical, sort of, except for when they're not, which is quite frequent. Um, but the main point is, they look really good. Um, Spock, Spock turned Leonard Nimoy into um, a sex symbol overnight, and the same thing happened for the actress who played Tipol in um, Enterprise. So, uh, my, my primary criticism here is Vulcans are there to, to be attractive. But going one step worse than that, um, of all the species in uh, Star Trek, and if we count ourselves as, as being alien to other species of other worlds, um, you could say the humans are the worst of the lot. Uh, we're definitely the most boring for example, um, especially on the Enterprise. Yeah, as I was saying, the... Uh, sorry, I had to click pause for a moment. I just needed a breath. But yeah, um, the human characters on uh, Star Trek, whichever uh, particular part of the franchise you're talking about, um, seem to be fairly boring. And, and if I had to pick on one human in particular, who, who earns the most enmity from me, it is. Uh, I, it's, it's the guy from uh, Enterprise. Um, it's Commander Trip Tucker, the crop-dusting mechanic yokel. Um, I absolutely loathed him. I... I'm sure he's a nice enough guy if you want to meet him, the actor himself, but the the character, the character just drove me spare. He seems so homespun, and you thought every, any minute now he'd be like uh, walking along with a, a stick of straw sticking out of his mouth, chewing it. He, he just annoyed me to... I, I'm getting aggravated just thinking about this. I And, and the other thing is... How could Tipol possibly fall for, for, for him of all humans? Doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Trip Tucker. Trip Tucker, he's a right. Anyway. Okay, uh, so the next thing actors. 
And this isn't anything anyone ha other than me hasn't noticed already. That's not a strikingly original uh, moan, but I want to get it off my chest anyway. The same actors are used over and over and over and over and over again throughout the whole um, show. Uh, they play different characters, different aliens. Some of them appear in different shows. Um, I don't know that... I'm guessing that the casting directors just thought, we really get on with this guy, we like him, we'll bring him back. He knows Star Trek. Uh, but the thing is, I, I can tell, and I'm sure everyone else can tell, how many different characters um, the same actor will play over and over again. Um, I mean, it's nothing new. It stems back to the original series where um, Major Barrett Rodenbury, uh, Nurse Chapel, uh, in Star Trek, played uh, also Luxwana Troy... Laksana Troy on Star Trek The Next Generation and DS9, then she played the computer voice, and there are lots of other examples of many, many other actors who played um, many wildly differing roles and, and, and unfortunately are very recognisable in each of those roles. Again, they're messing with my belief to uh, suspend disbelief, which, which does not please me. Okay, ah, the ships. Now, okay, so I'm, I'm like every other fan person out there, um, I've got a soft spot for the ships because they represent everything that Star Trek's about. But they're not very cool. In fact, the only reason I think they look cool is that they're so rubbish that they look cool. A bit like, um, oh God, like, I think someone else um, asked, someone once interviewed Michael Caine and say, why does he always look cool? He says, well, he doesn't look cool, he just uh, has the same wardrobe, and if you wear it long enough, um, it'll become cool again, because things go in cycles. Like, for, for example, a Navy um, sports blazer. Which does ever I don't know. It, maybe it only works for Michael Caine. Um, but yeah, I I think the ships are a bit, aren't that cool. They're, they're they're terrible. They look like pizza cutters. Well, half a well a double pizza cutter thingy. In fact, you can get a Star Trek pizza cutter, can't you? That's shaped like a ship. Um, but m more my idea of a spaceship. Uh, is something that looks like uh, like the Liberator in uh, Blade Seven. That that was a superb looking ship. It just looked utterly alien and very beautiful and stylish. Uh, whereas, you know, the the Federation ships, uh, yeah, they're um, just flying saucers with a couple of sticks. Ah, and on the subject of ships. I'm gonna stick with that for for a moment. Um, another thing that I've never understood is why are there no single crew fighter class ships? They're just really big, expensive ones. And where are the unmanned drones? You know, I 
Oh, I, I mean, there's one way you could explain this. Uh, Starfleet does claim not to be military. But if you watch the series, you'll know that they're always in some kind of war. One war or the other, there's, there's always fighting going on. And yet they persist in using these huge, expensive, and massively crude ships, which means that every time you take one into battle, as well as costing a lot to repair, um, you, you have a massive loss of life. Makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, sure, Starfleet isn't military, so it's, uh, you know, one week it's Klingons, then it's Romulans, then it's Cardassians, then it's the Dominion, then it's the Borg, then it's, mm, it just goes on forever. Uniforms. Right, again, Starfleet is, in theory, a civilian organisation. So why are they more uniform conscious than the Coldstream Guards? If you're listening to this and you're not um, from from the UK, uh, the, the Coldstream Guards, um, they do a lot of ceremonial duty and they have very, very elaborate, um, colourful uniforms. Oh, sorry, yeah. Oh, sorry about that, I almost fell off my chair. Getting excited, wobbling on the chair and shaking my fist at the computer. And, and when you look at the Starfleet uniforms and you look at the big ships and the weapons and everything, it's no wonder Klingons don't initially trust the Federation. Uh, right, multicolour uniforms. Oh, no. Okay. Again, no sense in having a multicolour uniform, none at all, because you might as well paint a great big target on your back. Um, the uniforms denote different things, like um, different branch of Starfleet, command, science, medical. Um, so, it does give the enemy a good target to, to, to focus on. If you know all the command guys are going to wear the same coloured uniforms, wipe them out first. And, and anyway, as, as I was saying before, they are supposed to be civilians, and uh, even organisations like NASA today don't really have uniforms. Just get that cheapo blue flight jacket thing. Although, I think the most uh, realistic way of showing um, uniforms in the series are pr probably the overall type, utilitarian... Uh, things that were worn in Enterprise. Um, and they only, I, as far as I can recall, they only had colour bars to denote rank, um, which is as much as you really want. The, the other thing I, I wanted to talk about, um, about uniforms, is they look really silly, don't they? Um, they they just look like lounge suits uh, or track suits, uh, velour ones as well in in the original series. Comfortable though, what one would assume. Actually, if I was going to take a pick out of all the uniforms, it would have I would have worn I would have liked to wear the one from the original series because the one from um, the next generations so that the uniforms they wear, wore look very tight and uncomfortable. And the ones on Enterprise just look, made you look like a car mechanic.
I'm going to pause there for a moment while I have a drink. You'll hear a click. And I'm back. Okay, and uh, still talking about uniforms. Um, well, God oh dear. No, you know what? I'm not going to talk about uniforms anymore. I've, I've just had it with them. <laughs> they're, they're just ridiculous. I. They've got to do something. If there's another uh, show, they've got to do something with the uniforms. Maybe no uniforms. How about that? Maybe I just don't like uniforms in general. Okay, uh, so on to something completely different now. Um, have you noticed how on Star Trek everyone is just cool? Uh, that there are a few, that there are a few nerdy characters, um, but they they all even the nerds turn out to be geniuses or cool in some other way. So so you got the standard alpha male type guy like Picard, uh, Worf, um, Riker, um, especially Worf and Riker. They 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 kind of are the um, the epitome of how males um, who have you know, from the future should be cool and um, imposing and uh, just perfect in every way possible. And, you know, it's a very um, old-fashioned type of American 50s, 50s type alpha male cool, though. Um, but anyway, back, back to the nerds. So you do have nerds, and like I said, that they're not real nerds because uh, they, they just turn out to be cool in some other way. Um, for example, in The Next Generation, we've got Reginald Barclay, who we've mentioned before, turns out to be a physics expert. Uh, LaForge is a warp expert, data, an expert on just about everything, as well as being almost indestructible. And as he says to Tasha Yar, he is also fully functional. Okay, let's uh, go on to Neelix in Voyager. Yeah, so he's a bit nerdy, um, but he has a really hot girlfriend in Kent, and uh, he's also a captain in his own right. He's got his own ship. Uh, he's um, an interstellar trader. Then, like, yeah, like I was saying before, the, re the rest of the crew, everyone is just tall, slim, athletic, pretty. Uh, so, where are the fatties and the skinnies? Well, there was a big pause there. I, f <laughs> I forgot I was still recording. Okay. Oh, I'm going to have to go back and wipe that bit. So, forget that there was a pause, and just imagine that I've gone back and wiped that, because I've just changed my mind, I'm not going to go back and wipe it, it's quite funny leaving it in, and also I'm pretty lazy, I don't want to go over the whole thing, and look for, let's see, minute 44, and um, edit that out, so I'm just leaving it in. What am I talking about? Oh yeah, 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 how the crew looks all cool, and... Uh, there's everyone has the same kind of uh, body type. Um, even the aliens, they're. Um, so yeah, actually, the future looks pretty straight-laced and just a little bit boring. Uh, 
Also, uh, I find it odd that the um, that the, that the Federation seems to recruit mostly Americans, which either means that the rest of the world has either been reduced to nuclear rubble um, in that Third World War that they keep mentioning back in the day, um, or that in fact the uh, no, I'm going to leave that one for there, otherwise I'm just going to get... I, that will end up being a bit rude. I'm going to edit that bit out of my notes. No one can see that. Okay, on to even more important manners. Uh, sorry, matters. Have you noticed how everyone's hair is boring? Now, this is the far-flung future, and everyone's got really, really normal short back and sides type haircuts. What, what's up with that? I, I, I really don't understand why, why that should be. Um, perhaps because it's a military vessel? Oh, oh, oh yeah, sorry. A, a military organisation? No. Uh, Star Trek is in fact civilian. But they all have the same haircut, they all wear uniforms. Mm. Okay, I'll leave that for now. So I've covered just about everything that annoys me about Star Trek in um, a mostly incoherent manner, which I apologise for profusely. Um, but I want to end by uh, talking about why I actually love the show. Yeah, despite everything I said before, um, I, I do I do really like Star Trek. Uh, I, I'm personally the eternal tourist, so... Um, it's great the way they're always going to somewhere new and meeting new people. Um, and although they're, they're on extremely dodgy ground claiming to be non-military, it, it, it is a nice change from the way things have gone in the past. And they do make the attempt with the Prime Directive not to be too exploitative, although that hardly ever works. Um, but yeah, so I, I like the fact that we're always going somewhere new, travelling to a far-flung world, boldly going. Second, um, I was basically raised on the moral values of uncles Jim, Spock and Bones. Um, every good thing about me comes from the fact that I, <laughs> their characters um, often will do the right thing. Uh, some of them, like, uh, you know, Bones, he's cranky, he's uh, can be obnoxious, uh, drinks too much, but at the end of the day, he always does the right thing. Um, same with uh, Kirk and Spock. So they, they are good examples, I would say. Okay, and despite the show having so many absolutely stupid, brain-thuddingly stupid, um, unworkable science that... And I'm not particularly... You know, I'm not a physicist, so I can't uh, say for a fact whether this will or will not work. But, but as far as I can see, a lot of the stuff they talk about just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Yeah, but despite all that, I think Star Trek is more of an idea about what we could achieve. Um, so it's not just purely science, there's some kind of uh, philosophical 
um, moral directive going on there, um, which sounds really pompous, uh, but the main point is Star Trek is brilliant and I love it. Sorry if it was a bit all over the place, but I'm really tired and I had a lot to talk about. Um, and that's it for now. So, that was episode 25 of Rise Rocket Radio, recorded on the 25th of January 2014, which is a Saturday. Uh, and the time at the end of the recording is 9 minutes past 9. So, see you next time. Bye.